You're listening to Living Free, your podcast for a life full of freedom and magic. I'm your host, Tanja Hirsch, and I hope that every time you listen, you feel a little bit more inspired to follow your intuition and to create a life beyond your wildest dreams. Welcome back to the Living Free podcast. Today I have a really touching, vulnerable, authentic conversation with you with my dear teacher Hannah Muse from Santa Cruz in California and this woman has literally changed my life with her teacher training. If you know my story after I decided to leave the yoga studio I created with my ex-boyfriend and I lost everything and I was smashed into a million pieces. I signed up for this teacher training in Costa Rica. I didn't know Hannah, it was just yeah I'm meant to be I guess and we ended up in this amazing retreat center in the jungle of Costa Rica and this teacher training has really cracked my heart open and Hannah really sparked something within my soul in this teacher training and I talk a little bit about it in the interview but she was the light that I needed to remember me of my own light and I think without her, my path would have been a lot slower. I had so many releases, so many transformative, life-changing moments in this teacher training that really helped me to trust my into my intuition and to follow this path that is led by my heart and my soul and not my mind anymore. So I'm really honored that this very special person is here today. Hannah is a yoga and meditation teacher. She hosts retreats all around the world and she has so many amazing offerings for this world with so much kindness, compassion and an open heart and that's exactly what we are diving in this into in our interview. We talk about how to choose how you can choose to leave your heart open if you've been hurt in the past if you've lost someone if you've had hardship and how you can hold yourself in it and to embrace these parts that we are so tempted to push away we talk about the shadow integration and to really embrace and invite our own demons in so we become a safe home for ourselves where we welcome us as we are and not just versions of ourselves that we would like to so it's a really inspiring powerful interview and before we dive in i just wanted to let you know that the early bird prize for my pleasure retreat and for my living free the journey the three months deep dive is ending on the 23rd of january so if you want to join Make sure to sign up before to save your spot before the prices will rise. And now I'm so excited to share this interview with my amazing yoga teacher, Hannah Muse. So welcome to the podcast, Hannah. It's an honor to have you here. Oh, what a joy to be invited by you, Tanya. Thank you. So the first question I would like to ask you is what does living free mean to you? Ooh, living free. There's so many, there's so many layers there, right? So I think about like living free in our minds, right? Not identifying as the stories 
but rather um, a freedom to see the, the bigger view, remembering who and what we are, you know, our essence nature, our pervading loving awareness. So there's, so there's that sense of living free. And just on a very human level, um, living free for me has been a growing capacity to um, be authentic. Oh. And, and that's a changing thing, right? Because we're alive and we're changing moment to moment. But when we're in relationship with that moment to moment awareness, we get to feel into the authenticity of our being in every moment in each relationship, right? To this breath, to you, to this sun. And um, that feels like freedom, oh. you know? I could go on and on about this topic. It's a great <laughs> question. It's such a great question. I was just saying that, you know, when my daughter, I was just talking with a friend yesterday, when my daughter was younger, so Ruby's almost 13 now, but when she was younger, I felt all of this um, freedom in parenting her. And what I mean by freedom is, is choice, meaning that I didn't feel um, like my choices in parenting were dictated by conditioning and my own traumas and the way my parents and ancestors did it. But there was a lot of freedom of saying, of sensing, of feeling her, of attuning to her and then making choices based on really that moment-to-moment -moment clarity and attunement. And I was saying that now that she's almost 13, I'm starting to feel sometimes like I have less of that freedom. <laughs> like there's a little bit of like my own adolescent stuff that's a bit shadowy, so I'm diving in. I actually have this wonderful Jungian dream analyst that I'm working with who's a mother and anyway this topic is just wonderful I could talk about freedom in so many levels thank you Tanya for such a poignant mm -hmm. question amazing thank you so much for for your answer it's really it touched my soul so much because it was your teacher training that I went on that really cracked open the layer of conditioning and trauma I don't know if you remember the the deep meditation at the pool where I for the first time could really feel this layer this deep 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 rooted pain of my first year of life and that you made the choice to parent your daughter in a different way is so inspiring and it really took me on the path of cracking layer by layer and I'm still on this path by really shedding these layers of conditioning and to see the pain is not who we are but to allow our heart to still shine even if we've been hurt and even if we experience trauma and just by sharing your unique story I remember it gave me the allowance to also look deeper and that's why I would love to talk with you about your personal story because when you I see you if anyone sees you you're such a bright shining light if when I saw you the first time it was like you know there's almost angels flying around you and when I heard your story I almost couldn't believe it and it's so inspiring if all these things kept happening to you you still choose you chose to leave your heart open and to crack it open every with every single thing that happened to you. So 
what is your personal story around opening and staying open in your heart? Mm. Well, first off, Tanya, as I hear you, I just am sensing just so much tenderness um, and remembering um, your heart cracking open in that training. And um, yeah, I'm just feeling really connected to you and in your life. And I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, I'm feeling a lot of tenderness right now. And in terms of my story, yeah, there's, there's so much to say. And it's like, I don't even know exactly what I shared on that specific training. I there's some things I remember, but um, I can I will definitely go into some details because I think that can be really helpful to um, you know, there's this way in which as we are on the spiritual path, as we're on the healing path, on a path of realization, at some point we realize that we have been so disassociated from the stories, right? So we have to really unpack them and see them and shine a light. And then we get to a point where we kind of like disentangle ourselves enough that um, we have that space from the stories. But I'm the type of yogi and meditator that doesn't feel like, um, you know, those stories don't matter, right? Like there's, it's not like a detachment from our lives because if consciousness is anywhere, it's everywhere. And when you were speaking about, you know, um, the, I think a word you used was like, even with the hard times, even with the difficulty, right? That there's this um, ability to, to choose, um, to choose love. And I think that's kind of where it lies is, is this sense that a lot of people are like, wow, in spite of all the hardship you've been through, you know, there's, there's still this capacity for, for love and for connection and for presence. And I would say that that little bridge of in spite of is where we get it wrong. And you didn't say that, Tanya, I'm just using that because that's what a lot of people will, will kind of name. That's where we get it wrong, or at least in my own story, because it's not in spite of, it's actually because of. Mm. You know, and, and, you know, we can, we don't want to oversimplify that because it's not like, um, it's not like we want to choose hardship and we don't want heart, you know, we don't want to wish hardship upon anyone and the, the beings who are, you know, the children who are, who are born without enough food to eat. Like, I don't believe that they chose that. I don't believe that, you know, that's, you know, something that we need to, um, you know, spiritually bypass, right? And what is also true is that in my own life, in my own personal experience, the loss, whether it was, you know, the loss of my father when I was seven or my brother's suicide or my sister's death or um, the divorce I was on, just the precipice of when I was there in Costa Rica with you, and on and on and on um, were all opportunities for me to let my heart open more. And that can seem, that can even just sound like 
ooh, it can sound spiritual bypassy. It can sound like almost insensitive because in in the moments of the trauma, that's that's not how it felt, right? And um, there was a lot of wrestling and a lot of resistance and a lot of suffering. But it's like, you know, um, there's this there's this story uh, there's a story from the Jewish tradition about uh, one of the students saying to the rabbi, you know, why do we place the holy words of the Torah? Why do we place them on the heart? Why do you say place them on the heart? He says because when the when the heart breaks open, the holy words will fall in, mm-hmm. and it's like the the tenderizing the permeability that is, in my personal experience, has been possible in those places of such, um, you know, so close to death, so close to losing faith, right? Some people say rock bottom for different um, examples in their life. Um, So yeah, I mean, Now, having those circumstances happen and not having any tools, Mm -hmm. you know, so I, you know, when we say it's like a, you know, I chose, I chose to keep my heart open. I chose to love, like it's choice, but it's also like, I've had a lot of privilege to be in the right place with the right teacher and the right teachings to help support me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, have friends and have um, healthy food and have so many things to help support me and my nervous system. And if there's anything, if there are any two things, if I had to pick two things that I could just say, oh, have been the most impactful in letting these heartbreaks actually expand my heart and help me grow my capacity to love, those two things are meditation and motherhood. It's not that I think those are the only two paths. You know, I know a lot of people who are not mothers who have the similar experience. And I know other people who maybe they don't meditate, maybe they practice Qigong or, you know, something else, right? But for me, in my experience, those two things really have been my greatest allies and also, you know, (laughs) biggest enemies at times. And I actually think about, as we're talking, I'm thinking about how, um, how there's some pieces that are really similar in there because as I, as I learned how to love my daughter, I learned what it was like to unconditionally love and welcome someone. Mm. And, and that's actually what's been the most impactful in my meditation practice. Like not just the mantras, not just the, you know, all the things have been helpful, but if I were to just kind of distill it down, it's creating a home for myself. That's like a loving mother, like an unconditional love that says all parts of you are welcome here. Your grief, your rage, the parts of you that society doesn't value, like all of it, like a big, I call it the big mama non-dual embrace, (laughs) you know? And so 
that loving and tending and befriending, which I talked a lot about with the neuroscience by the pool, mm -hmm. remember? All that neuroscience about how that tending and befriending um, really works with our brain. So anyway, I could go on and on, Tanya. I hope this is making sense. <laughs> totally. Thank you so much for sharing. And I think when I heard your story and I realized you with all the loss you shared, you lost all these people in your life that were so dear to your heart, you choose to, to leave your heart open. And of course, we're being privileged to even do this work and to have the support. But I think it's really up to us if we decide to close our heart, just to leave it closed because we've been hurt so much and the pain was so big, we didn't know how to handle it, that we stay in that closed space forever. There are many people that are living like that. And it is a choice for me to really have the courage to say, even if I'm going to be hurt again, which can happen, I decide to open because it also... I get goosebumps from saying this. It also allows us to really feel and receive the love that's already around us that we can't see if our heart is being blocked. It's so true, Tanya. It's so true. And yeah, just opening to see that there are blessings availing themselves all the time in every moment right and that openness and as soon as we shut down we see the world in this distorted way and yeah i agree with you i think in my own experience the choice lies really you know in yoga you know we call it tapas the discipline right or um in in the kind of buddhist world of meditation we use the word for meditation a lot um, we use the word bhavana And it's also a word in, in yoga, but in meditation, we talk about bhavana um, and the literal translation is to um, cultivate, like to plow a field, right? And so you can imagine, you know, way back when in the time of the Buddha and like seeing the imagery of like plowing a field, tending, right? And I feel like the choice for me has been to stay with it because there's all the opportunities to check out, to distract, to repress, to chase after something else. Um, and so the choice is, like you said, it's really important. And for me, it's to stay, to learn how to not leave myself, not leave this experience, not leave love and to stay even when it's super uncomfortable even when it hurts like hell even when it's so joyful and ecstatic that it's like almost too much mm -hmm. but to stay and that choice to come back mm -hmm. right to come back there's a there's a in the tibetan tradition of buddhism one of the words for meditation means getting used to and it's almost like yeah we're we're we're, we're getting used to coming back home to ourselves mm. and that is not an easy choice right in a world where everything moves so fast and we have all sorts of temptations to distract ourselves right yeah and sometimes that means like coming coming back to ourselves and being with the numbness mm -hmm. yes. sometimes that's all there is and we stay with that so i agree that choice is really really important And for those who are listening that maybe had a loss or they don't know how to open the heart and they're not familiar with meditation or they don't have a daughter, do you, <laughs> do you have maybe singles, like 
very basic tools that help them to get on the way to really allow themselves to feel what wants to be felt? Yeah, it's a really good question. And unfortunately, maybe for some who would love just a, a quick pill, happy pill, whatever it is to take, it's really, it's really the long view. And that's the thing about practice is like at the beginning or maybe even in the middle or at some points it's, it's easy to judge, you know, like, is this working or, you know, am I doing this right? Or does this teacher even know what they're talking about? But over time, like those, those incremental changes really make all the difference in the world. And so, um, you know, this capacity, this growing capacity, you know, I'm not there yet. It's going to keep growing. I hope as I get older and wiser, it keeps growing. This capacity to, um, do you want to say something, Rue? Okay. Like, I'm naked and laugh. <laughs> exactly. She's like, not, but she wasn't even like surprised. She was like, naked. What's, what's new? Um, but this, you know, this growing capacity to, to show up with courage and love towards everything with this unconditional openness towards everything it does take practice and it takes time so what i would say is you know find a meditation teacher um, who's teaching in a way that's very trauma-informed that's you know grief-informed that's um has learned about self-compassion and some of the research around that I think those are really important things for people who've gone through loss. Um, and of course, in terms of like quicker fixes, there's there's wonderful grief counselors, not that that's necessarily quick, but meaning that you could find someone and, and work with. Um, and yeah, I mean, just knowing you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Like if you're listening to this, just presence what's that what that's like to know that you're not alone and that this experience of loss this experience of heartbreak it is universal and it connects us to everyone and everything that has ever loved yes so true you know and that's so i mean that's so comforting to me that we are all connected in this yeah and I remember a post you shared, I don't know, it's, it's been a while where you um, took the picture of inviting your demons in for your morning matcha. I don't know if you remember that post. <laughs> and I loved the picture of not getting rid of your fears or getting rid of your grief, but inviting it as a, as a part of who you are because the grief goes in waves and cycles and it comes back and it's overwhelming. And to invite them in as a part, like a friend, to not be afraid of it anymore, but to see it's also you. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about how you had the courage to really not only look at them, but to embrace them and to invite them in? Yeah, I, I love that question. Yeah, it goes a little bit back to what I was saying before about motherhood and meditation helping me create a you know an inner sanctuary where as I was learning to unconditionally love Ruby I was like oh maybe I can actually be this for all these parts of myself that have been cast aside right um, 
but I'm also thinking of Tanya just this morning in the meditation group that I lead, Shelter in the Heart. Our meditation was um, on, you know, welcoming ourselves back whenever we would stray. And um, yeah, to make a long story short, the journaling prompt afterwards, I asked them all to feel into how would you want to be welcomed? You know, if you, if every time you come home, you get yelled at, you're going to stay out later and later and later, right? If every time you come home, you think this place is a dump. I don't even know if we can fix it. It's so, <laughs> right? Then we're, we're probably not going to come home very often. We're just going to like stay out there somewhere. And so as we're, as we're, as we're talking about, you know, like inviting our demons and welcoming these parts of ourselves that like, Ooh, I don't know if I really want to see that part. I don't know if I really want to like hang out with that part. Can we just push it away? Can we just put it under the rug? Right. And so first we create the, you know, the home, mm -hmm. we create the space, we, we create the embrace and, um, it was so beautiful hearing the the sharing the feedback in our in our morning meditation circle what people were writing and and sharing about um what felt welcoming actually i kind of even i think i took a little screenshot i kind of want to just like read them now because they're so touching <laughs> so some of them they they said vocally but then at the end they were all writing in there and so someone wrote to welcome to how so how do you want to be welcomed right and you could think about this like actually coming to your house or being welcomed by your beloved and then ultimately these ways that we want to be welcomed we get to cultivate being this for ourselves mm. and so someone wrote with love someone wrote unconditionally with eye contact and an open heart mm. with presence with deep listening where even the shame and judgment feels at rest. Mm -hmm. Exactly as I am. Warmth, softening, patience. To feel safe, loved, and heard. To be welcomed with openness. To be welcomed with acknowledgement, seeing and feeling seen. To be welcomed with the essence of a pup returning to the pack the loyalty and love that dogs offer. Oh. Aren't those just so wow. sweet because they're so true, right? So, true. so once, we, once we create, you know, this, this place of safety, of love, of unconditional openness and, and not all that judgment, right, that the conditioned mind is used to, then it's, it's a lot easier to invite the demons in for tea. You're like, come on over, everybody's welcome here. <laughs> yes. In line. <laughs> yes. And also, I think if we've done it once, if we integrated a shadow once and we feel how liberating it is afterwards, when the next shadow comes, it's like, oh, no, I, I know it's going to be uncomfortable now, but I'm going to invite it in. I'm going to embrace it because I know how I'm going to feel afterwards. And yeah, yeah, for, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and if we do it with the expectation 
that they're gonna leave or something, right? You know, like it doesn't always work, <laughs> right? Yes. And it's, it's more like, you know, I don't know how our relationship is gonna change. I don't know, you know, who we're gonna become together in this dance, but I'm not gonna abandon you. Mm -hmm. And that's so. the most stunning thing. I think we sometimes want other people to welcome us the way you just described. We want other people to see us, to hear us, to feel us, to to love all these parts that we can't even love ourselves, but it's not possible in my experience to be completely loved if we don't show ourselves and these deeper layers, these deeper shadows, these demons that everyone has. We pretend they're not there, we lock them in the basement. And especially in relationships, they always find a way to bubble up, to, to door opens and they're gonna be smashed in your face and <laughs> that's when shit hits the oh, fan. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Totally, Tanya, we know. And <laughs> yeah, it's just so fun to laugh at ourselves in those, in those ways. And I also think, you know, just as we're talking about like the oversimplification of spirituality, and it's not because I think people are trying to oversimplify it, but language is so limiting, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to talk about these ineffable experiences, this direct experience, and then language is, you know, too limiting for that. But there's this way in which, um, it gets oversimplified and it's like, you know, you can't love someone else until you totally love yourself. And when it's that sort of extreme, I tend to disagree mm. because it's, it's a, it's a dance. And so for me, you know, I've been, I've been with a partner or a best friend or a mentor or someone, and they were a mirror to see how worthy of love I am. And it helped me oh yeah and so then i you know I, the capacity to love myself and be with what is grew and then as that grew i met a partner who i could love more right and so it's it's not like one and then the other but it's this dance and um yeah we get to keep growing in it and learning in relationship there's so much learning in relationship and I just love that. Yeah. And I think it's our choice again that we are willing because the mirrors, they will show up, but shit will hit the fan if we're not willing to look at it. But it's an invitation every time these demons show up to say, oh, there's a part that wants to be seen that I have been abandoning and to really look at it and to see it as an invitation and not as a like to an, an invitation to close, but to stay open and to invite them. It's so true, Tanya. And I think the my my experience has been that the, the training ground for being able to to look in the mirror and not just come up with all the defenses of how that mirror is not is very distorted. It's not my mirror. That's you know. <laughs> um, the the training ground to be able to to not shy away from those conversations and those mirrors and relating for me has been meditation yes. because it's kind of like, um, and I'm, I'm, and I'm a fan of like all the wonderful processing we can do intellectually. Like I love that too, as you know, but I think we can only kind of get so far, right. Unless we can drop into, um, that place of natural awareness where you know, our innermost being is, is already grounded, mm -hmm. is 
is already spacious, is already free, is already compassionate. And when we can directly experience that, not just the thought of it or the story of it, but the direct experience of it, which takes time to come back home to, then yeah, we just have this, we just have this fertile ground to be able to see more clearly. Oh yes. Yeah. I think it's also, like you said, the stance between the connection to our essence, to the place where we feel so loved and we know we are worthy even without doing anything just by being, and the dance between these parts that feel unlovable, the loneliness, the grief, all these things we, we were trying to hide and to really be aware, even if we are in this state of grief or of in, in, immense emotion, that we still have this essence. The sun inside is always shining, even if there are so many cloudy layers around it. And I think that was really something in the teacher training that you gave me. I always say it, it's like a light, like a candle, and you light other souls by shining your light. It's not nothing that gets less in your heart by shining your light, but just seeing you shine so much after, after hearing your story, it was, it sparked my soul on fire. It really, this was, I mean, I've been on a spiritual path for longer, but teacher training really remembered this essence. It remembered even below this pain, even below the trauma, there's this miraculously shining bright light and it's allowed to shine, even though if it makes other people uncomfortable. And that's also become my mission inspired by you to really be the light that inspires, that spreads the candlelight. <laughs> to remember everyone of their own soul and to connect to that essence because I think right now it's so essential with what's going on to connect back to this true nature that we are. That's so beautiful and you are such a light and thank you because I see it and it is like I mean it's of course the the clients the students you work with but it's also just the way that you move through the world it's your beingness right and um it impacts us on so many levels i mean just mirror neurons it's like you know you walk into the grocery store and somebody who was so stressed out that maybe they were gonna yell at the cashier or yell at their kid or whatever and then they just feel your beingness and your light and so thank you for for being that tanya yeah and and what you were saying just before that around um the dance and the oscillation you know between those parts of ourselves that maybe we we don't want to always face and then the, our essence nature i think that's why you know we often we often define yoga right as you know as as um to yoke or um because yug, the root word, means to yoke. And so we'll say oneness or um, many of those different definitions. And I, my sense is, is that the most descriptive definition in my experience is integration, right? Is integration. How do we integrate all these pieces and all these parts moment to moment? Right now it's like this. So let's offer this up. Let's welcome this in. It's all... It's all fuel for the fire, it's all path. And that integration of, of yoking is um, really the, the meaning of yoga. Mm, so beautiful. Yeah. And 
one thing I would love to dive into before we close this um, amazing interview is because I think many people don't have the tools, like we said, that we had the honor to receive. And this specific part at the pool, that I still feel being there when I talk about <laughs> where you shared um, the parts of the brain and how they're connected to our whole system, to our emotions, to our mind, to, to our soul. And can you share a little bit about the parts of the brain and how to regulate the nervous system if we are in this really triggered state in this, if we feel the grief that's been overwhelming and we don't know how to walk through it? Yeah. Yes, I love I love talking about that. I'm, I'm almost like, mm, we might have to do another interview. <laughs> Once I start going, I think we're going to more time. And I know we only have about 10 minutes left. Um, so let me just see. Um, I think that one thing to know is that, you know, the, the prefrontal cortex, which is where we are able to make decisions from, you know, be, be rational, not just be, not just succumb to like reactivity, right? But this place where we get to actually like, hmm, weigh out things and um, uh, weigh out our connectedness with others and so forth. The prefrontal cortex actually shuts down when we experience things like shame. And they actually have fMRIs where you can see how it shuts down in the presence of shame. And again, like I said earlier, like if every time you come home, you get yelled at, right? You're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're gonna come home later and later. And so there's this way to just start to notice, you know, whether it's because grief is coming up and you're like, oh man, like shouldn't I have dealt with this a long time ago? Like this happened so, you know or whether it's, um, you know, feeling angry, whether it's feeling lonely, whether it's feeling fear, whether it's feeling disconnected, whatever the experience, whatever it is, if we start to notice that there's a, a habitual thought pattern, because there normally is somewhere in that mind of, of shaming, right, of, of saying this shouldn't, it shouldn't be like this in Buddhism. We call, we call it the second arrow, not shame exactly, but the second arrow refers to like the first arrow is the suffering that it was inevitable. Like say I walked up the stairs to do this interview and I fell and I hurt my knee. Well, that's the first arrow. I hurt my knee, right? There's some, there's some pain there, but the second arrow would be my mind telling me, oh my gosh, you're such a klutz. You'll never amount to anything. What is wrong with you? Why do you always, why are you always so clumsy? Like, right? You're, and so that's the second arrow that we can avoid. That's this choice you're talking about, which takes some training to make that choice. But then there's this choice of like, oh yeah. And I remember, um, I think it was Sharon Salzberg, who's one of the great Theravada teachers. And she, I think she was talking about how, yeah, she was on this long meditation retreat and it was a metta retreat, a loving kindness retreat. And it just like, she didn't feel like anything. It was really working. She just wasn't really feeling much. She was just kind of like, whatever. And then at the end of the retreat, she, she, yeah, she did something like that. Like, I think she, I think she knocked over a bunch of stuff in her room as she was like packing real quick. And she noticed that her first thought was, 
You're such a klutz, but I love you so much. <laughs> and just how different that was. You know, it was like a micro difference, but mm -hmm. how life-changing that is, right? So beautiful. So, so back to the neuroscience. See, this is why we we should have a whole, we should do a whole episode on yes. neuroscience. Um, but this is but this is if I can just give one piece before we go. It's really around that that shaming piece, right? And as we're you know, I don't know when this is going to air, but people are talking about New Year's resolutions right now, and it's like if we come to it with this place of like shame, and that can it can be really subtle. Shame can be like can feel and look like something else, right? It can kind of shape shift, <laughs> but, but right. But when we're in that place, like, of course, we're not going to achieve our goals. Of course, we're going to, you know, move backwards with our intentions. And so instead, if we can, um, so the amygdala back here, which is all about survival, right? It's a primitive and it's like, just, you know, helping us survive. So of course it's gonna um, make snap decisions <laughs> that aren't always wise and things like that because it's there for those moments where it's really life or death. Um, but so often when we're checking an email or whatever it is, it's not life or death and yet we can go into that stress response. So one of my favorite things and it does the first time you do it, you'll be like, whatever, I don't feel anything, right? But over and over again is just when you start to feel shame, when you start to feel, you know, stress, getting hijacked by it, is just to bring a hand to your body. And sometimes I'll even bring it to the back of my head and to my heart. Sometimes my heart and my womb. So you can like feel into Tanya where like in your body you feel this welcoming, this presence of it's okay. And then just offer some words, you know, like I see you and I'm listening. And it's, and it's not about like comforting in a way that's not true. Like even saying like, you know, it's all gonna be okay sometimes doesn't feel like the right response because mm -hmm. in the moment I'm like, I don't know, is it? Yeah. Right? But. <laughs> But just saying like, I'm listening, I love you. Mm. I'm here and I'm listening and I'm not leaving you. Yeah, mm. I, I hear your loneliness. Yeah, I hear that you're really afraid. And I'm right here with you, breathing with you. Do you feel my touch? And as we practice that, you know, the, the neural pathway back, um, it, it changes. And so we're less um, likely to just go straight into survival stress reaction mode and go more into the parasympathetic nervous system where the blood flow comes back to the heart and the organs. <sighs> yeah. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing. That's so beautiful. And I think that's really where the work starts. It's not on the yoga mat. It's when we are in this triggered moment and to choose instead of talking us down and to allow our inner critic to explode, to, to say stop no more. And now I'm listening to you and now I'm seeing you and I'm surrendering to this feeling no matter how but I'm going to be there and hold myself in the storm and I'm going to speak loving words in this moment. Thank yeah. you so much. 
first. Of course. And like I said, you know, at first it might feel contrived or it might feel hard or, you know, if like the defenses and the resistance are up, it can feel, yeah, you can just feel some resistance towards it. But the more we do it, the more we realize that we actually have the capacity for unconditional love and it's not contrived. It's just that we have to kind of reach past the layers of armor and touch into it. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. So true. Thank you, Hannah. I could talk with you for hours. Maybe we're going to do a second one one day. <laughs> That would be wonderful. There's one last question I would like to ask you before we close this interview that I ask all of my guests. I hope we have, yeah, we have a few more minutes. Imagine you go back in time and sometimes the picture of a child comes up any time in the past where you didn't know what you know now. And you could give this younger version of yourself a message, something that you have learned along the way that would have made your life a lot easier. What would you tell your younger, the younger Hannah? Hmm. Well, there's some words that come up, like some of the ones I was just saying, right? Like you're loved. Hmm. Um, you're held by something greater than you can know. Mm. And then I also have to admit that there's, there's also a sense of like, I wouldn't say anything differently mm. because it's all unfolded mm. and it's all been path and it's gotten us to this moment of love and connection right here. Mm. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hannah, really, I loved our conversation and I just loved seeing you and being in your presence. You're still just the same shiny light than you were four years ago. Aww. Well, thank you for sharing how much um, our experience in my training was, was helpful to you, impacted you and all the people that you're in service with. That really, it's really wonderful to hear. And I love the work you're doing in the world and I hope we get to see each other. Yes. Again. <laughs> Maybe a retreat in Morea. Really love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Bye, sweetie.